Welcome to the Daily Dad Podcast, where we provide one lesson every single day to help you with your most important job, being a parent. I'm Ryan Holiday, and I draw these lessons from ancient philosophy, modern psychology, practical wisdom, and insights from parents just like you all over the world. Thank you for listening, and we hope this helps. Hey, it's Ryan Holiday. Welcome to another weekend episode of the Daily Dad Podcast. In today's episode, I wanted to put together some reminders, uh, best parenting practices, 10 reminders, some of our most popular ideas, the things I turn to over and over again as a parent, things, frankly, I needed a little bit of a reminder of myself. I'll list them real fast for you, and then then we'll just go into the episode. But number one, it's teach the why, not the how, the why. Number two, how to raise brave kids, because that's what we're all trying to do. Three, that you'll never regret playing with your kids. Four, what you need to make them promise. Six, specifics are everything. It's all about the specifics. Seven, a good, one of the good things to worry about. We worry way too much as parents, but this is a good thing to worry about. Eight, just go to bed, get some sleep. That's the important reminder that I'm giving myself today as I see my bedtime creeping up and up. Number nine, your kids should always come first. Thou shalt put thy family first. And number 10, this is something you can always give them and in fact, must give them. Here are 10 awesome reminders to all you parents out there from Daily Dad compiled over the last year. Thank you for listening. We love having you. I hope you enjoy this episode. Teach the why. It's so quietly become the norm that you may have missed it, but it's a real and profound shift. Instead of teaching kids through reading, today schools teach reading skills. Instead of teaching math as a tool to use in your actual life, schools teach math concepts, ideally math concepts that are easy to measure on tests. For really smart or curious kids, this is not really a problem. They're able to translate these skills into their lives. But many kids struggle because they're bored, because they don't see the point, because they lack the knowledge and the context necessary to even understand how to learn these skills. A 2019 piece in The Atlantic tells of a study that measured kids' reading ability when it came to a short piece of writing about baseball. Turned out that kids who liked and understood the game of baseball were able to better read and comprehend more than the kids who didn't. Context, it turned out, was king. Even the kids who struggled to read were able to read above their level if they were actually interested in what they were reading about. They could get their bearings inside it. So the writer concludes, what if the best way to boost reading comprehensions is not to drill kids on discrete skills, but to teach them as early as possible the very things we've marginalized, including history and science and other content that could build the knowledge and vocabulary they'd need to understand both written texts and the world around them. It's obvious, but of course, not very common, which is why as parents, we must adjust. Instead of drilling your kids on historical dates, take them somewhere where they can understand that history is a thing that actually happened, that it has an actual physical footprint. Don't pester them about their homework. Do math with them as you pay the bills or calculate the tip on a dinner check or work on a project in the garage. Show them the why and the how because they are more important than any what. Skills matter, of course, 
but there's always a reason we are trying to attain them. That reason is the context necessary for comprehension. Depriving your kid of that context is not just silly, it's cruel. It forces them to try to learn in a vacuum. It dehumanizes them. It turns education into a chore. And learning isn't a chore. There's a reason for it. And that reason so you can use it in your actual life. How to raise brave kids. We've talked about how we have to prepare our kids to answer the call for courage. That's my new book, actually. We've talked about needing to equip them with the fortitude necessary to step out into this crazy world. We've talked about how we want kids who are resilient, who are able to overcome obstacles, who see opportunity and run towards it when others run away. So how do we accomplish this? How do we teach them to be brave? The same way we raise them to be a reader, to be respectful, to be selfless, to be anything. You have to do those things in front of them. You have to embody who you want them to become. It's easy to tell them to be brave, to take chances, to not be afraid. But as we've said, your kids are watching you more than they are listening to you. If you're not practicing what you preach, then you're not preaching at all. You are bloviating at best, gaslighting at worst. You tell them to be brave, but have you shown them what bravery looks like? Have they seen you take a stand for what's right? Get up in front of a crowd, take risks in your career? Have you shown them that when you're hurting, it's okay to ask for help? Have they seen you want to quit, but refuse to give up? As a parent, you can talk about courage, but your actions are always going to speak louder than your words. Remember, a little fellow follows you. Your kids are always watching. You have to model this behavior you want them to learn. If you want them to be brave, you don't have a choice. You have to be brave first. You'll never regret playing with your kids. Even if you just put on your work clothes, even if you're already late, even if the pool is freezing, even if they've been getting in trouble lately or been difficult to deal with, even if you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders, You will never regret choosing to stop whatever it is you are doing or were about to do to play with your kids. You'll never regret jumping in the water with them, picking up the video game controller with them, spending a few minutes with them, letting Saturday actually be Saturday with family. You will always be glad that you took the time because none of us know how much of it we're going to get because there is no message more important to send to them than the one that says, there is nothing more important to me than you. Because as busy as you are, as much as you're dealing with, there has never been a mind that has not been improved or refreshed by temporarily entering the world of children. But of course, you will regret letting too many of these opportunities pass you by. In fact, you know that you already do, because you already have. Make them promise. It was on an ordinary day that Jimmy Carter's father pulled his son aside for a conversation. Jimmy, he said, and he never called his son Jimmy. I need to talk to you about something important. Yes, sir, Daddy, Jimmy replied. There's something I want you to promise me, his father continued. I don't want you to smoke a cigarette till you're 21 years old. This was in the late 1930s when something like 40% of the population smoked, when cigarettes could still be marketed to children, and advertisements made claims like more doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. Carter's dad himself was hopelessly hooked, too. I won't, Jimmy promised. And then his father sweetened the deal. When the time comes, I'll give you a gold watch. 
When he was 21, then in the Naval Academy, he finally tried smoking. By then, it was too late. He'd missed his window and he hated it. He never smoked another cigarette. But tragically, Carter's mother and three of Jimmy's siblings followed in his father's footsteps. Each one of them died of pancreatic cancer. Carter, as it happens, still alive at age 96. You'd think that 90 years later, this conversation would be moot. Sadly, it isn't. Over 34 million Americans are still hopelessly addicted to tobacco. Now, with vaping and the legalization of pot, over 5 million youths around the United States use e-cigarettes, and over 3 million use marijuana. Lung cancers connected to smoking kill nearly 500,000 people a year, globally 7 million. It's naive to just hope that your kids won't smoke. You have to make them promise, as Carter's father did. That was great, but then you have to learn from his failure, too. You have to lead from example also, because the cost of not doing it could cost you everything. One of the weird parts about being a parent is it sort of made me a kid again. Every night after dinner, I have a big bowl of cereal. Um, I've fallen in love with Magic Spoon cereal. Uh, I actually invested in the company. I've recommended it in my newsletter a million other places. Magic Spoon cereal has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving, only 140 calories in every serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. You can build your own bundle or box of their favorite combinations. Chocolate, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, cinnamon, cookies and cream, and maple waffle. Go to magicspoon.com slash dailydad to grab a custom bundle of cereal and start your new year off right. Be sure to use promo code dailydad at checkout to save five bucks off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100 percent happiness guarantee. If you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free delicious cereal at magicspoon.com slash daily dad. Use the code daily dad to save five bucks. And thank you to Magic Spoon for not only sponsoring this episode, but filling my belly with many delicious bowls of your delightful cereal. Hey, it's Ryan. You know, I think one of the feats of the last uh, two years has been keeping my kids stimulated and interested as the world has unfortunately needed to be smaller and a little and was uh, naturally a bit scarier. Earlier this month, I got this awesome miniature indoor fireplace from one of my favorite companies, Bespoke Post. This spring, as you get back outdoors to explore, take Bespoke Post with you on all your adventures with their new lineup of essential box of awesome collections for guys guaranteed to upgrade your life. Whether you're out taming the wilderness or taking your home bar to pro-level heights, Bespoke Post sends guys the best stuff every month. You take this little quiz at boxofawesome.com and your answer helps them pick the right box for you. Get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the code DAILYDAD at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, code DAILYDAD for 20% off your first box. This is what they really want. We talked about why we say yes when our kids ask us to do things for them. We say yes to jumping in the pool. We say yes to watching that awful show. We say yes to being the chauffeur. Why? Of course, because time is fleeting and no one knows for certain how many opportunities we get in this life to spend time with people we love. But here's the real reason. Your kid isn't asking you to jump in the cold water or tell you that story again. They're asking for you, period. They are reaching out. And as we've said, when your child extends their hand, you have to take it. 
That doesn't mean we always have to acquiesce, obviously, when they ask for stuff, a new bike, a piece of cake, to not have to do their homework. You can say no. But when they ask for us, when what they want requires spending time with them, together as a family, we better jump on that loose ball and run it back for all it's worth. Take yes for an answer. Give them yes as an answer. They want you, at least right now. Will that always be true? Maybe not. But rejecting them, squandering a perfectly good opportunity because you're tired, because you're in a bad mood, because you're not interested in the thing they asked for, well, that's one way to make sure it happens. It's all about the specifics. It's funny how we talk about the most specific and singular thing in the world as if it is the same for everyone. Sure, people have been having children for thousands of years, but every kid is an utterly unique piece of DNA, never before and never to be seen again. We talk about parenting as if we're all in the same boat, going through the same things on the same collective page about wants and needs and priorities. Of course, this is nonsense. As the writer Elizabeth Brunig recently wrote in a piece for the New York Times, one of the things they don't tell you about having babies is that you don't ever have a baby. You have your baby which is to you the ur-baby, the sum of all babies. We have to remember this because it affects all sorts of things. First off, much of the advice you hear about parenting is general, and therefore potentially worthless or in dire need of adjustment to our particular circumstances. We have to understand that as aligned as having kids should make us with our fellow parents, there are strong evolutionary forces at work. That kid in your kid's class is somebody else's most precious thing in the world. In fact, to them, that slobbering goober is the world. What you feel about your family, how you do anything for them, how nearly everything else and everyone else pales in comparison, that's how they think about their kids, too. This is a difficult, potentially explosive tension that is mostly ignored or unnoticed. But if you can understand it, it will make you more understanding. And finally, your kid is not like all kids. Your kid is, as we've said, utterly unique and singular. They are your kid, your creation. View them accordingly. Approach each issue accordingly. Forget comparison. Forget average benchmarks. Forget what everyone else says is normal or expected. Forget how it went with your other kids. That stuff only matters generally. And of course, you have to parent specifically, individually. Got it? It's good that you worry about this. The question hits you in a soft place. It hits you when you least expect it, and yet it's there constantly. Am I a good parent? Am I doing enough? Am I screwing this up? It's reassuring to say every parent thinks this, but it's actually not true. There are, in fact, two types of parents who never think that. There are the parents who are so confident, so self-absorbed, so convinced that they and their family are at the center of the universe that they never question themselves. And these, of course, never turn out to be good parents. And then Of course, there are the bad parents who have quit on themselves and their family. They've decided they don't have what it takes. So they ran away or they spend their precious time and energy feeling that it's hopeless, that there's nothing they can do. They are too busy thinking about themselves and their own flaws to help anyone else. But you, the type of parent who is checking in and wondering, am I doing enough? Who actually cares about whether they're doing a good job? This is by definition a good parent. Parents that their kids are lucky to have. A sociopath doesn't spend much time worrying about whether they're a sociopath. Such a thing would never occur to them. In this case, it's proof that you care, that you have self-awareness, that you're improving, that you would stop to evaluate your own performance, that it would bother you to give anything less than the full measure 
of your devotion. So when you feel that thought, that doubt come up today, feel reassured. It means you're doing a good job. You can always give them this. There are many things you will eventually realize you can't give your kids. You'll find almost certainly that you didn't pass them perfect genetics. You'll discover, unfortunately, that you can't give them everything they want. Perhaps your marriage will fall apart and you won't be able to give them the perfect family life you intended. Perhaps you won't be able to pay for college or private school. You'll definitely find that you can't give them an easy life, that you can't totally protect them from pain or frustration or from cruel and selfish people, as we've talked about before. This will be hard, even even heartbreaking, because you want to give them the world. You want nothing more than to make them perfectly happy. But inevitably, you'll fall short. That's the bad news. But the good news is that there is one thing you can always give them, something that is always possible, always within your reach. You can always give them attention, understanding, and love. No matter what happens, no matter how rich or poor you are, no matter what mistakes you make or they make, no matter how powerful or powerless you are, you can always do those things. In fact, you must always do them. Because in the end, those are more important than all the other things. Love and understanding especially are the only things that truly matter, that truly last, even beyond our death, as their impact shapes the adult that your child will become. And if you think about it, the only thing they'll truly and rightfully resent you for, all else being equal, is if you know these things are true and you still fail to provide them. They must come first. Queen Elizabeth II had just returned from a six-month trip abroad. Her kids had been aboard the royal yacht for days, eagerly awaiting her return. Did she have presents? Would she tell them wonderful stories? Would she smother them with kisses? As she stepped aboard, Prince Charles ran to her, always a stickler for protocol. However, the queen politely greeted a group of dignitaries first. No, not you, dear, she chided him, finishing her business before embracing her family. Even some 65 years after the fact, even if you have an important job, even if you're an avid rule follower, even if you don't like Prince Charles, and who does, it still breaks your heart. That much time apart, those are her first words to her six-year-old son. She couldn't see the awful symbolism literally putting work before family, having already put them on pause for six months. We've said this before, your kids must come first. They are not a distraction from your work. They are your work. And in Queen Elizabeth's case, this is quite literally true. Yes, the duties of her office are important, but one of those duties is raising well-adjusted heirs, the leaders of tomorrow. Well, this is one of your duties too, which is why you must put your kids first. You must treat them like they matter, like they are your job, your life's work. You must say to them, yes, you dear, and never, ever, the opposite. Just go to bed. You know your kids are a mess when they don't sleep. And that's why you follow the bedtime ritual religiously. You know that kids get into trouble at night if left to their own devices. And that's why your teenager has a curfew that you enforce with an iron fist. And yet here you are, up late again, mindlessly watching TV. Here you are, tired in the morning again because you were up late on your phone. You could have gone to bed. You know you should have gone to bed, but you didn't. And who suffers? Your kids do. Because you're grouchy, because you don't have the energy, because you're behind, because you have no structure, because maybe even they sense 
that you're a hypocrite. If you want to be a better parent, start going to bed earlier. Give yourself a bedtime that you honor and respect and enforce. Value sleep. Take care of yourself. Everyone will benefit. As the children's book says, which I carry at uh, the painted porch here in Bastrop, go the fuck to sleep. Sometimes you got to read it to your kids, but I think mostly you should read it to yourself. Hey, you're listening to the Daily Dad Podcast, one meditation a day inspired to help you do your most important job, which is be a great father. These are meditations inspired by ancient wisdom, psychological research, and just great strategies from normal dads just like you. Thanks for listening.